strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, here's something cool we're doing. You can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card and spoil your pets and be a member of the KTAR Paw Picks. Send us photos of your pet. You can win a KTAR Paw Pick contest. Submit your photo at KTAR.com slash contests, and each a different pet will be featured each month and will be the KTAR's Paw Pick Pet of the Month. Um, I want to talk about the culture war that's going on, and I think this is a real thing that's happening. I think it's always been there, but maybe it's social media that brings it to a head, but we are starting to see conflicting things going on. Um, This headline, Walter Reed National Military Medical Center issues cease and desist order to Catholics during Holy Week. Now, that's an inflammatory headline. I mean, let's be honest. That is to grab your attention. But here's what happened. Only days before Holy Week, Walter Reed terminated a contract with the Catholic Pastoral Care with Holy Name College Friary. This is a commune of of priests that have been doing this for a couple of decades at Walter Reed Medical Center. The Franciscans' contract for the Catholic Pastoral Care was terminated, and it was awarded to a secular defense contracting firm that cannot fulfill the statement of work in the contract. As a result, adequate pastoral care is not available for service members and veterans in the United States' largest defense health agency, Medical Center, whether during Holy Week or beyond, according to a statement. Um, I want to start there. It is um, – this is a time in our, our world. Listen, I don't think anybody has ever expected someone else to believe what they believe. At least I don't. I never have. Um, I want to know as much about – I want to be able to defend my faith. I, it's the apologetics part of it. I want to be able to explain why I believe what I believe. I would love – for you to at least respect my belief, whether you agree with it or not, respect it. And I think that um, we are – and just the, uh, the descriptor of it is we are a theistic nation. We are not a theocracy. Iran is a theocracy. They run their country with religious rulers. The Ayatollahs are the supreme leaders of Iran. That's just how it is in that country. That is a theocracy. There are dark countries like Russia and China that don't recognize a creator, and they punish people for religious beliefs to some degree, but they're not, um, they're not free to worship the way they want. We are a theistic nation. We believe in a creator, and we acknowledge that in our money and in our founding documents, and we have, a, we have, you know, we, we have done this for a long time as a nation, but we also uniquely – I think we're not super very uniquely, but yeah, kind of uniquely. We also welcome the atheist. We're not an atheistic nation, but we welcome the atheists. We have gotten into this culture war now where it seems to me that American Christians can be the target of anybody's attacks. Now, they say words are attacks, and I'm not one that goes along with that, but hate speech against Catholicism or against the LDS church or against conservative Baptists or you pick it. It's okay to attack those groups. They are seen as hateful because their religious book disagrees culturally with a lot of what is now held up in the highest esteem in our culture. I want to run down a couple of things, and you tell me if you don't think this is hypocrisy. San Francisco State University Administrator addresses the Riley Gaines incident. The Riley Gaines incident, Riley Gaines 
is the young swimmer who has been standing up saying we should not have biological males in women's sports. It's ruining women's sports. She was physically attacked at an event. So that's the incident they're talking about. Now, I will. And I, I want you to be fair in your discernment of this. If this had been the other way around, if this had been a trans activist speaking out on behalf of trans people and an anti-trans crowd attacked this trans person, would they call it an incident? Or would this be more hateful, uh, the attack on the trans community? If it's an attack on one, it's an attack on all. And that's where my problem lies. Um, The uh, vice president of student affairs said today San Francisco State finds itself again at the center of the national discussion regarding freedom of speech and expression. Let me begin by saying clearly the trans community is welcome and belongs at San Francisco State. Further, our community fiercely believes in unity, connection, care and compassion. We value different ideas even when they are not our own. Um, thank you to our students who participated peacefully Thursday evening. It took tremendous bravery to stand in a challenging space. Um, it is, to me, um, absolutely ridiculous that we are where we are. If we are supposed to coexist, and I believe we are. Um, I am supposed to understand how you feel, and I'm supposed to um, at least acknowledge that you're entitled to it, which I always have. When does that for when is that required to be reciprocated? And I mean it sincerely. When is it reti- required to be reciprocated? If I am supposed to say. Um, If I'm supposed to understand that a person that is trans may not feel comfortable in the bathroom of their gender, of their biological gender, um, why are you not supposed to understand that when you as a male walk – I'm talking anatomically, biologically, not how you identify but how you appear, that you go into the ladies' room and when a woman says – I'm uncomfortable with someone that is anatomically male is in here, that's hateful. And I don't get it. There is no compromise, and that's where the problem lies. We could come to an agreement. We should come to an agreement. What I mean by that is there should be, I believe, in mutual respect and understanding. But when one side of this equation has the freedom to yell and scream and at times attack, and it's seen as they're fighting back and standing up and good for them, and the other side can't even criticize, and when they do, they are seen as bigots and hateful, and it's hate speech, it's not a fair fight, and it, it, it fosters further division. I would venture to say that the vast majority of people that I know do not care how you live your life. I hope you realize that some of myself, like myself, A, I have way too much going on in my life. If I want to start fixing your problems or I want to start attacking you for what I think you're doing wrong, I will tell you I admit before I even consider doing that, I have so much on my checklist of shortcomings that I have to overcome. That I should fix those before I attack yours. I firmly believe that in my life. And this is what makes me crazy about it. Is that nobody can say, that makes me uncomfortable without being criticized. I don't think it's fair. As a matter of fact, I think it makes all of us worse.
In a moment, we're going to go back to the education topic. Uh, the governor's got a task force to fix a teacher shortage. How are they addressing it? Where is this task force? And what are some of the solutions we can come up with? We'll discuss them in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time. Um, the governor has uh, has announced recently, I shouldn't say recently, she announced that she was starting a task force to address teacher shortages in Arizona. Task force members have been charged with making recommendations to improve educator retention by December. In time for Hobbs to identify priorities for the next regular legislative session and her 2024 State of the State address. During the campaign, she proposed increasing educator annual salaries by an average of $14,000 to ensure teachers can access affordable health care. Teacher salaries in Arizona are among the lowest in the country. Now, that's not everywhere, but that, that, there are uh, districts that don't pay very much money, but there are some that pay pretty well. So I addressed this earlier. You know, I am all about finding answers, finding solutions. Um, when I hear the word task force, I ultimately think that this is just the appearance of doing something. I'm not saying it doesn't have good intent, but I don't know how often these task forces come up with plans in a very short amount of time to address a specific issue. Um when you uh, and I just think when it's when it comes to government, when you are someone that has an illness or an ailment, having a team of doctors looking at it, usually in short order, you come up with a plan from that group. There's a sense of urgency there. Um, I don't know how a government task force usually when it comes to these kinds of fact finding task forces comes up with solutions very often or ones that are implemented. So the governor says we need about $14,000 per teacher in a raise to be competitive. You've got a Republican legislator named Matt Gress who has proposed a $10,000 raise for teachers over a two-year period, 5000 and 5000 And it's being held up by largely the Democrats in the state legislature, the governor's party. If the governor believes that teacher retention begins with this, and I'm not – Calling her right or wrong, I'm making an observation here. If she believes that pay is the thing that is addressing it, you're getting a long way there with the $10,000 raise. Why wouldn't the – maybe she is. Maybe her staff behind the scenes is lobbying in favor of this piece of legislation. It's interesting that the teachers organization, the AEU, is against it. That surprises me. Well, it doesn't. It should surprise me. It doesn't. The teacher organizations, the union, as they call themselves – the ones that are supposed to be lobbying for increases in teacher pay, they don't like it because they say it's unsustainable in the budget. What do they care? First of all, let's be honest. They don't care what it takes to spend the money. Here's how, how – and they are – people, you understand where I come from politically. When I get on the air, you understand where I come from politically. I, I say it. They want to appear to be this nonpartisan, idealistic group of people. It's just not true. They despise Republicans. Rebecca Gorelli has said Republicans don't want to pay teachers more money. Don't believe these lies. And you go and look, it's a $10,000 raise. It's pretty simple. They don't like the idea. Two things. They say it's unsustainable in the budget as the way it is going to run out of money, which isn't their concern because the government's got to figure out how to come up with the money. But secondly, they say it doesn't spend enough, much, enough money. 
So which is it? Is it too much money that we can't afford or is it that it spends it doesn't spend enough money? But the governor's got to figure out a plan that she's going to come to the state with in her state of the state address. I respect that. But why are waiting? Why are you waiting until 2024? That's the part of it that's frustrating. You're you're going to be a year into your term when you come to the people of the state of Arizona with your idea. Why wouldn't you come into the office with your idea? If you knew you were going to be the governor, if you knew when you were elected that this was a big issue for you, why is it going to take a year to come up with some of these plans? And, and to me, that's where it looks like foot dragging. I am someone that thinks that we deserve, as a state, we deserve the best possible teachers um, to educate our kids. And I think money may be a part of holding on to the good ones. I personally think there needs to be also accountability for the bad ones, that we should be doing a better job of getting rid of teachers that are not performing and replacing them with pe- teachers that want to perform and pay them what a good performing teacher should be paid. I'm anxious to see what these solutions end up being. I truly am. In a moment, we're going to go back to the topic of the economy and how problems are solved. An Oregon newspaper is talking about some of the issues that are driving people from their cities and their state. We'll talk about what those are and what our solutions could be next. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. And with the backdrop of what happened in Louisville today, we're talking about safe cities. We understand that you know, no one is 100% safe, but how do we make our the places we live more attractive to people? Arizona has done a lot of work in the last 10 years in attracting industry and changing the economy and the engine of Arizona. Um, and there are some people, let's be honest, there are a lot of people that just don't like it. There are people that liked the way Arizona was, and I, I respect it. There are, there are times I love the peace and quiet and going to places in Arizona that still seem to be pristine and untouched by you know to most people. Um, but I also think that the managed growth has turned the valley into a metropolitan area that we can be proud of. Uh, it's an economic engine, I think, that's going very strong. Uh, I think it's going to get stronger. I think about my kids, but I think more about my grandkids now and what opportunities will be there in front of them. When they find something that they like to do, If they when they get to that point in their life where they find the career either A, that they're so good at that they need to do it, or B, if they're lucky that they're good at and they they love to do and they can make a living at it, that those opportunities are right here in Arizona, that they don't have to travel to get them. The Oregonian is saying that uh, homeless, the homeless crisis in the state of Oregon, high taxes, violence is driving residents to other states. The old adage still holds true that we subsidize the things we want more of and we tax the things we want less of. So when we are taxing the rich and subsidizing, not poverty, but subsidizing crime, and that's exactly what we're doing. This is this to me is not I don't think that this is um, callous. I think it's calculated by my thought when you have to commit a crime. In order to get help, it doesn't make any sense to me. It would make more sense to me that if you're a young person, that is what they would call an at-risk youth. 
as, as Joe Pesci would say, uh, if you're at risk and you decide or your parents decide we want you to be better than your circumstances, we want you to have a better opportunity, single parent home, uh, maybe you live in a working class or working poor neighborhood, um, gang activity, whatever it is in your neighborhood where your parents or your parent, your guardian is saying we want you to be better than your circumstances. The people that make that decision before they've committed crimes should get first dibs. The message, I think the messaging is much better said that when you say to a young person, once you cross that line, once you get into the gang activity and you start dabbling and dealing drugs and carrying drugs and hanging around gangbangers, if you get caught with a gun, if you're stealing cars, because young people realize, because older people tell them, you can commit a bunch of crimes. And because of our laws with young people, you're going to commit crimes multiple times before you ever see the inside of a jail cell for any length of time. You're going to get chance after chance after chance. Kids are smart. And I think it's the same way with an adult. I know people that have been very honest about their struggles with addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and the struggle that they went through in order to get off those, whatever that substance for them, whatever that addiction was for them. I don't know of anybody that looks at someone that's had a problem and said, oh, heck with them. We we say, how awesome is that? Look what they've overcome. How many of us have friends on social media when they say, I've been sober five years today, ten years today, a dozen years today, that we don't think, man, good for them. Number one, good for them that they've stuck to it, but good for them being honest enough to say that this is something new for, this is something new for me in this sobriety. And we, we hold it up in highest esteem. Why is it that they have to injure or kill somebody in a DUI crash. They have to have a drug problem that's so bad that they're stealing from other people um, or committing other crimes to feed their addiction that those are the people that get the help. I just think we're backwards in the way we do a lot of things. Giving people every opportunity on the front end so they don't have to commit those crimes so that when they do commit those crimes, we're still going to help them eventually get off their addiction, but they're going to pay a price for it. I don't think I'm speaking Republican. I don't think I'm speaking Democrat. I think I'm speaking common sense. It transcends politics. You look at what Oregon is saying, because if you look at what they've done with their cities and defunding the police and demonizing law enforcement and putting that money into community service projects and all of these other things we hear are going to change the way cities work, and they haven't. They haven't. They've made those problems worse. If we all want solutions, why can't we look at what really works and tough love works? If somebody came to you today and said, honestly, said to you, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Would you help me? I think every single one of us would feel that we're honored to a certain extent that you trusted us enough to bring us your issue and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. But we would absolutely help them. It's different when they call you and say, hey, I need you to bail me out of jail because I just burglarized somebody's car to feed my addiction. It's a whole different set of circumstances there. And this is where we are as a society. We are subsidizing the bad behavior. Somebody commits a crime, they throw help at them. Somebody commits a crime, we make them the victim. Somebody commits a crime, they're all of a sudden the one that gets all the attention. And the victims are left there saying, wait a minute, I'm out of here. 
How many of these cities have seen major corporations in Los Angeles, the 7-Eleven Corporation, saying to its franchisees, get out of there, too much crime? We know that Cracker Barrel as a restaurant chain is leaving some cities because of crime. We know grocery store chains are leaving because there's so much theft they can't make any money. They used to have to factor in the cost of theft into the cost of the products they sold because they knew a certain amount of what they sold was going to be stolen. But now it's so much they can't even overcome it. At what point do we as a society look at these issues and say we are no longer going to subsidize bad behavior. We are going to subsidize good behavior. Come to us with your issues before you commit a crime. And we're here and we are going to throw every resource we can at you to help you with your issue. But once you cross that line, there's going to be a heavy price to pay before you get the help. And when you victimize somebody, all of the attention that should have gone to you is going to go to the victim. They're going to get – we're going to subsidize the victims. We're going to make sure they're made whole, that they have the counseling they need, that they have whatever they need to be made whole physically, emotionally, financially, whatever it is. And you're going to wait. You're going to pay a heavy price and then – and then after you've paid your price, if you still want help, we'll give you the help. And if you don't think that's a better solution than what we're doing in some of these places, I'm telling you you're wrong. That doesn't mean I'm hard-hearted at all. I think everybody has multiple opportunities at redemption, but we can't leave the victims behind. And we've been doing that in some of these cities for a long time, and it's about time somebody stood up and said it's not the right thing to do. A very weird story in a minute. I don't own a Tesla, by the way, but this story about Tesla and privacy gave me the creeps, and I'm not easily creeped out. Wait until I tell you this Tesla story coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I have a couple of friends that have Teslas, and I will say a couple of things about them. Technologically, they are amazing cars. Um, now, I think a lot of the electric vehicles have some really cool technology. I have a friend who has one, and he was showing off. Um, we were at dinner, and uh, you know, I have like the auto start on my car where I can use the remote and start it from a distance to get it cool off in the summer, or warm up in the winter. Pretty cool feature. You know, you can start it remotely. I can start it with an app on my phone. I can start my car um he pushes a button and his tesla backs out of a parking spot pulls up to where he's standing and opens the door he wins that's a cool feature um they're fast as lightning i mean they are just like slam your head into the seat fast when you accelerate so there's a lot of cool stuff about them i'm not against electric cars and i'm speaking specifically of teslas for this reason it's one of the creepiest stories i've seen in a long time uh tesla assures its millions of electric car owners that their privacy is and will always be an enormously important to us the cameras and that are built into the vehicles for assist driving it notes on its website are designed from the ground up to protect your privacy. But between 2019 and 2022, groups of Tesla employees privately shared via an internal messaging system, sometimes highly invasive videos and images recorded by customers' car cameras, according to interviews. That's creepy. 
Now, I realize, you know, I think all of us realize, and I don't necessarily care that much. Some people do. If you've got GPS in your car, you know, I can push a button in my car. I can say, and I can say street address and then say the street address and it will take me there or at least direct me there. Or I can say, POI, which is point of interest, and I can name a place. I could I could go in my car and say destination POI, and it would say name the POI, and I would say Arizona State Capital, and it would pop up on my GPS where I am and my fastest route to get to the Capitol. That's a pretty cool feature, but I also realize having that in my vehicle means anybody could see where I am. Is that kind of an invasion of my privacy? If I can turn my vehicle on and off, with the app, Ford can turn my vehicle on and off with the app. There's even been people that say that, that if you don't pay for your car, they may shut your vehicle down and lock it so that you can't start it. They can they can virtually repossess your car. All of it a little creepy. This is a lot creepy. This is a lot creepy. It shared crash and road rage incidents. Um, some of the recordings caught Tesla customers in an embarrassing situation. One ex-employee described a video of a man approaching a vehicle completely naked. <laughs> so the camera outside of his Tesla caught him approaching his car naked. I don't know why you drive naked, but, you know. Um, one crash video showed a Tesla driving at a high speed in a residential area, hitting a child riding a bike. Uh, the video spread around the Tesla offices in San Mateo, California. Um, there are so many other images were more mundane, pictures of dogs, funny road signs. But Tesla states its online customer privacy notice that its camera recordings remain anonymous and are not linked to your vehicle. But seven former employees told Reuters the computer program they use would uh, at work could show the location of recordings, which potentially could reveal the test where the Tesla owner lived. I wonder if this is generational. You know, the older you are, the more freaked out you get by this. Because this is kind of creepy to me. Let me ask you, Julia, you're you are the you're the young mind on the show. Um, Does this creep you out? Totally. Does it? Totally. How much? Does it creep you out enough that you wouldn't buy a car that had these features? Um, It would definitely make me think twice about it. Yeah. But you don't mind GPS. You know that your phone is being. But this is just goes. The picture is now creepy, right? Yeah. The pictures are a little weird. Yeah. That you walk out of your apartment and as you're getting into your car, your camera is recording you getting into the car. Yeah. Creepy, right? Yeah, a little bit. Freaks me out a little bit more than the average one does. It's fair. Yeah, I want. Do you think they fixed it, or do you think they've just said they fixed it? I don't know. I don't know if we'll know until the lawsuit happens. You know, with this class action lawsuit that they filed, I don't know if we'll know anything. I don't know if more information is going to come out that might even be more damaging to Tesla. Yeah, and what happens because they say it makes you anonymous? But what happens if someday you can subpoena someone's data from their car? You're driving a Tesla. You get into a crash. They want to know how fast you were going when the crash happened. A little creepy. Uh, it's going to be a lot for the courts to handle. I it think. is. I think you're absolutely right. I just thought I'd bring this to everybody's attention. Again, I've got nothing against Tesla or electric vehicles. I love technology. Uh, I, you know, I realize, and it's happened to all of us. I, this this freaks me out too. Whenever you're having a conversation about something. 
And then three minutes later, you log into Facebook and you see an ad for that product in your Facebook page and you haven't like looked like downloaded or or did an Internet search. You've just been talking about it. And all of a sudden on your phone, you see ads for it. So, you know, your phone's listening to you. I love Alexa at my house. I listen to music and all that stuff at my house. But if if I can say Alexa and I tell Alexa to do something um, like if you're at home right now, let's say you're at home and, uh, you know, uh, and you're listening on uh, the app. It's freaky that, you know, or you're listening on your phone on the app. And I say, Alexa, play KTAR. And all of a sudden in your house, Alexa starts playing KTAR. That's a little creepy, but I love it. That feature doesn't bother me. Listen to my conversations. I don't care. I live alone. I talk to myself a lot. I don't care. I talk to my dog. So when he starts talking back, that's when you have to worry. That's when you need to worry about things. But I just thought this was creepy enough to bring up. So pictures from the car showing compromising positions when Tesla is telling everybody, nope, you're completely anonymous. Tesla employees. Kind of makes you wonder what Facebook and Instagram are doing with your pictures too, doesn't it? And what you're sending in Messenger. There's a whole different set of fears. Uh, What we're going to do in the 11 o'clock hour, of course, did you hear this is going to happen at 1120 as it always does. But at 1105... How concerned should the U.S. be with the conversation the French president had with the Chinese and what he had to say about the U.S. dollar and what he had to say about World War Three? We'll talk about both next.